What's up? Welcome into Dragon Ball Super Dope. My name is Kyle. Thank you for checking this out. In case you didn't see the title of the episode, I was fortunate enough to sit down with Masako X of Team Four Star, the voice of Goku and Gohan, uh, for a chat last week for about an hour. Uh, more on that in one second, only because unfortunately, uh, this. Uh, this news came in uh, a few days ago. We haven't recorded anything in about a week. Um, so in the last week, uh, unfortunate news in the Dragon Ball Z voice actor community, the Latin American dub actor for Gohan, Luis Alfonso Mendoza, uh, was murdered uh, in Mexico City this past week. He was 55 years old, um, murdered by, um, I guess, a tenant of his over a uh, dispute over studio space. Um, also, Mendoza's wife and brother-in-law were killed. And uh, terrible. I mean, I, I, I hate having to start off such a positive episode with such terrible news. Rest in peace to the three of them. Uh, unfortunately... The attacker, well, fortunately, I don't know how you want to look at that. Uh, the attacker then tried to uh, kill himself, and uh, I guess it didn't work out for him. He's in critical condition. So, karma. Um, rest in peace, Luis Alfonso Mendoza. So, this Moscow X interview. Uh, a couple of things. First and foremost, Holy free holies, man. I was really, really nervous to talk with him. Uh, this is somebody whose content I've been watching since uh, 2008, 2009. I remember when Jimmy and Carlton first showed it to me. Um, it was really a treat to get to talk with him. But all in all, um, I'm very aware of the fact that this is uh, the most visible person I've ever had the opportunity to interview. And uh, I didn't want to fuck it up. So obviously... Um, right out of the gate, I, I fucked it up. So by that, I mean, um, I had a microphone issue. Um, I crazy day, got home late from work. He was already ready to go. I basically didn't flip on the power to my, uh, interface from my microphone. So the sound that you're going to hear from my end anyway, very much sounds like I'm on a telephone. Uh, Masago X's sound on the other hand, like a true consummate professional, his sound is great. He's the guy that you want to hear from anyway. So I try not to interject too often. This conversation is obviously going to touch on some of the stuff uh, about Team Four Star um, and the recent announcement to end Dragon Ball Z abridged uh, in its current iteration. But I also sort of approach this conversation as uh, a little bit more rounded. I didn't just want to talk about Team Four Star stuff. If you've listened to this podcast, you know I've got a really complicated relationship with my fandom for Team Four Star. Um, but I really wanted to get to know Masako as a fan, first and foremost, uh, and understand like some of his favorite parts of Dragon Ball Z and really what hooked him as a fan early in his life. Uh, learn a little bit more about what got him into voice acting and um, you know how he eventually hooked up with the guys in Team Four Star and got the opportunity to voice Goku and Gohan. Talk about that recent announcement from them uh, and his feelings on the situation. Uh, then I also talk with him a little bit more about his content creation uh, on his YouTube channel. Uh, if you don't subscribe to his YouTube, you should. Uh, I do get to talk with him a little bit toward the end about Dragon Ball R and R, uh, Raditz and Ranch, which is a really interesting series, man. It's super well done, and it's uh, done from a place of love and passion that's very apparent. Um, so, yeah, um, understand. I sound like I'm on the phone because uh, I'm a dope. So here is my sit down with Masako X. 
Very special episode today. I am joined by a legend in the Dragon Ball content community, um, a integral part of Team Four Star Dragon Ball Z abridged, the voice of Goku and Gohan. I'm joined by Masako X. Masako, how are you doing today? Well, I gotta say it's good evening, New York. I always wanted to say that. <laughs> awesome, man. Uh, I think you did, it, it's so cool to see the Goku voice just kind of drop in like that. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, as you might be able to tell with like my uh, voice. Usually, it's not too far off my regular speaking voice. You know, let me just a little more peppy. That kind it. of stuff. What would you say? <laughs> the, uh, what would you say the differentiation between that one and, and how you approach? Oh, you, like with Gohan. Yeah. Well, exactly. With Gohan, it's just a little bit higher and a little bit more kind of articulate because you know I'm not dumb. Read those books. Yeah, Th- <laughs> those things with paper in them that. The only good thing that books can do is teach you how to cook stuff. So, Masako, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and talk with me today. I think some preparation to get this set up. Uh, you're recently back from a vacation, so I appreciate you uh, jumping on to speak with me so soon after returning from your trip. No, no, no worries, man. We had, we had, we had this plan for a while, so, you know, I, I wouldn't watch out of this, no. And uh, shout out to my friend Chris and Caleb over at the Holy Nerdy Podcast uh, doing their show. I think it was a year or two ago at this point. So uh, Yeah, I think so, yeah. It was a great episode. So if you guys haven't checked out the Holy Nerdy Podcast, go check out Masako's episode with them. I also did a crossover podcast with them um, uh, not too much longer after you did. Uh, awesome content. But I wanted to start sort of at the top before we get into any of the Team 4-star stuff or any of the recent announcements and, and news regarding Team Four Star? Obviously, I want to get to all that, but whenever I talk to somebody new about Dragon Ball, um, especially a, a big fan such as yourself, uh, I like to sort of start from the beginning and sort of understand what, um, sort of understand how they found the series initially, and what resonated with them, and uh, really what made them become, you know, in a lot of cases, a lifelong fan. So. How did you first find Dragon Ball, and, and how old were you? Uh, well, I found Dragon Ball around the age of 13, roughly. Like, because mm-hmm. um, in the UK, uh, we didn't have Dragon Ball until the year 2000, and that came on Cartoon Network. And I remember seeing the adverts for it, and it was pretty bonkers, really. It was just, like, nothing I'd, like, seen before. I mean, I'd been dabbling into anime, you know, initially from what my brother had in terms of Project Aiko, 3 by 3 eyes Fatal Fury, all that kind of stuff. I mean, a little bit mature, a little bit mature as it were, but, you know, then there were like Samurai Pizza Cats and Sailor Moon, Pokemon, all that kind of stuff. It was really kind of just starting to actually be recognized as anime and not just them cartoons from Japan. Um, but, yeah, I watched, I watched it and I was immediately hooked. I loved it and luckily because we got it so late we didn't have to wait so long for new episode so i just found it there and just hit the internet when it was just getting broadband and then just researched to my heart's content that's excellent so you didn't have to go through that long two-year loop of beginning of raditz we get to that point in the frieza arc and then boom right back to raditz on cartoon no. network yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't have to be part of that. I mean, we did have some looping when new episodes came out, but it was like nowhere near as long. Yeah, that was the uh, Dragon Ball Z purgatory for fans back then. 
Um, what would you say? I mean, obviously, you mentioned a lot of anime off the top that your brother had, uh, you know, introduced to you, and um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that was starting to become more commonly localized uh, in the '90s. What would you say about Dragon Ball, though, resonated with you so strongly? Um, probably just. I mean, admittedly, the Pioneer Dub soundtrack was really, really, you know, popping. I loved it. Mm-hmm. It was really good at the time. And just generally, the, the, the feel of the dub was just so different. It was just, even though it was quite considerably censored, you could feel like that there was something more mature than what you'd come to expect. It was nothing like what I had seen before. So the difference between that and a regular show was just so palpable that I just had to follow it. And it was just one of those things I'd be like rushing back from school to kind of just go like, hey, oh, quick. I, yeah, because um, they, they showed two episodes uh, at five o'clock. So, mm-hmm. you know, for an hour. And they'd show the previous day's episode, then the new one. So I'd always try and get back to see the new one. I think that makes a lot of sense, even though it was so heavily edited back then. In comparison to a lot of the other shows that were coming out back then, difference i think dragon ball had over many of them was that it was serialized and you know the other successful ones like sailor moon and pokemon kind of did like you know the soft reset at the end of each episode there was some general progress to the story arcs but yeah generally, yeah it was like a week-to-week sort of adventure dragon ball not only is it um a serialized thing but there are literal life and death consequences well yeah early in z yeah mm. But I mean, back then, yeah, it was a big deal. But now, now knowing more than yeah, now knowing what I know, you know, it's just like oh, death really has no meaning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, at the time, absolutely. When you see that, oh, this guy Goku, he seems kind of cool. Oh wait, he dies. What? Why did they just kill the main character? Yeah, but then it's like, oh no, wait, he's gone somewhere else. Oh, he's gonna train to get even stronger. Cool. So cool. Uh, mm. Actually, that that's kind of a good segue to to ask you what is your favorite series of Dragon Ball. Um, well, Z is obviously the the more iconic series, but to be honest, I've really kind of recently been reminding myself of the original Dragon Ball, and it, it, Dragon Ball. I got the same feeling when I was watching JoJo's Part Two Battle Tendency, is in like it's got a great and very iconic cast of characters. The story is not that complicated. You can dive into it and get yourself immersed into it. So that's why I always sing with JoJo, incidentally, Battle Tendency is my favorite part, part two. Mm-hmm. So just because of the fact it's an adventure, it's not too complicated. You have Hamon, which is similar to Key, with that not really being used too often, but enough so that means it's something novel, like with Key Attack. That kind of stuff. You don't really see that in the first half of Dragon Ball, but later on, you start to see it more and more, and it gets more and more bombastic, especially when you get to King Piccolo. I agree with you. I always tell people that Dragon Ball is my favorite of the series as well, and they sort of don't believe me. I feel like they. I feel like it's kind of a a, a hot take uh, in recent years. It's a very it's a very different series to Z. I mean, it's very weird. I mean. <laughs> This, I mean, then the the final third, like the King Piccolo arc and the twenty third tournament, they're pretty much standard Dragon Ball Z. Like, yeah, that's a starting to get, point. It's starting to get the tempo. Yeah, the King Piccolo arc is basically a Z arc. Just him, Toriyama finding his feet. But, but before then, it's all just really the Earth's not really in that much of peril in a way. You know, you know that Goku's going to win. 
You just want to kind of know how he does it. Yeah, and there is uh, still some, you know, very serious consequences, even on the more scale, and, um, but you get to see it progress, and I agree that King Piccolo, by the time we get there, that's like almost a perfect transition step to what we're about to step into in a more, you know, mystic, not so much mystical, but more like science fiction-based aspect of Dragon Ball Z with, you know, aliens visiting the first episode. Yeah, the fact that space is even a thing. Exactly. Um, what would you say is your favorite arc overall? Um, probably the Cell arc, really, because Perfect Cell's my favorite villain from Dragon Ball. You know, not, just because we, we're two for two right now. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, no, it's just it's only because I just like Cell's design, and I just love his place in the story. He is the culmination of everything that has gone before. Everything that has happened in Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, it's been recorded and used against the heroes. And it's just that premise is just mesmerizingly good. Although, I do gotta throw in, what the fuck is Namek, right? I mean, that's the one big aspect that they kind of cut out in terms of how they research Cell and the androids, and uh, that's one of my favorite callbacks to Dragon Ball Z, uh, a bridge episode. It's like, seriously, what the heck is a Namek? <laughs> Um, so last question in terms of getting to know you as a Dragon Ball Z fan, um, what is your favorite opening song? Oh, well, uh, I mean, Makafushigi Adventure is definitely the one that gets you pumped up the most. Mm -hmm. And there's a funny story attached to it. Um, I went to Japan with my now wife, uh, the end of 2018. And I mentioned that, you know, we were we were engaged and stuff like that. So we were kind of, you know, celebrating the build up to our wedding later on last year. And they basically they got me they got us checked in and everything. And then they called me from our room and they said, oh, Mr. Simpson, could you come down to reception, please? And I was like, oh, is there something wrong? And I came down and what they'd done is make they they had one of those little strawberry cakes with two uh two forks and a picture of goku and chi chi when they got married and just saying congratulations that's so cool and i didn't even tell them what i did that was they the killer you. Your that was, no, well they did they did their research because i said i had a youtube channel but i didn't say what i didn't give a link I mean... and they looked it up and i was just like Oh my god, I nearly I nearly cried. It was just like just the the kindness. We just gotten off a plane at Haneda and we just had that moment. So I quickly just excuse me, I've got to I just go and get get my fiance. And uh, I brought Philly down and she was just blown away as well. And then this is the connection. They sung Makufushigi Adventure. Oh my yeah, god. And they they had like strawberry wine. And they, we offered some to them, and they said, "No, no, no, we're working." I said, "No, don't worry, we won't tell your manager." So they had a sip in a nondescript oh. cup, <laughs> and then we just had a little sing sing song. That is such a cool story. I know it was so good. Oh my god, I got uh, I got weird chills. Dragon Ball. Like... And, well, I I just I just didn't know what to say. I was just it was such a. I, it kind of made me think. We were there for two weeks, and it was just like, oh yeah, this is going to be good. Wow, that is such still a good time, man. Still miss it. When did you guys get married? Uh, last October. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I can totally understand Makafushigi Adventure being your pick. Um, 
I don't know. I kind of go back and forth, but I'd say nine times out of ten, I stick with Don Don, even though you know Dragon Ball GT is what it is to our fandom. Oh, um, of course, Don Don. Yeah, yeah, Don Don's right up there. Love that song so so much. Mm. Um. So, all right, I feel like I've got a pretty good base in terms of you know where you are as a Dragon Ball fan. Obviously, this series is an integral part of your life. In terms of early days of the Team Four Star stuff, I mean, obviously, you know, we mentioned at the top, you are the voice of. Goku and Gohan, um, have you always had aspirations to get into voice acting? Oh, yeah. Um, probably from like an early age, I'd always have a little tape recorder and stuff like that, making silly voices and stuff. Um, but I, uh, I got interested in a, in a voice actress, Kira Buckland, she is now. And she's like to be in Nier Automata. She's in like loads of stuff nowadays. She's like one of the Burbank crowd. So that's pretty awesome. But back then, she was known very well as uh, Kagome and uh, Rina-chan. Uh, back then, she was really well known for having a good Excel Excel impression, as well as doing Kagome for Inuyasha fan dubs. And uh, she had a website and everything like that, so I was just amazed by her ability. So I emailed her and she's like, Hey, I, I can voice that too. Here's my demo reel. Thankfully, I don't have the files anymore. Uh, what year would you say that this is around? 2005. Excellent. Yeah, so when I was about like, 18. So uh, she pointed me to the Voice Acting Alliance. She thought I was okay. And I auditioned for three things that first week, and I got booked for two of them. So, wow. yeah. And well, uh, I was one of Yeah, I mean, they were just fan dubs, though. Uh, but still, back in the day, you know, fan dubs, yeah, they were all the rage. Exactly. So, yeah, no, I just, it just all went from there, really. And I actually finally got to meet Kira after like, 14 years of not <laughs> seeing each other, and we that was a big deal. So finally, I got to meet her last year at AX. And get to meet her and, and greet her and, and thank her. You thank her, absolutely. That's so cool. So how did you find yourself working with the Team Star guys initially? Uh, well, in 2006, myself, Vegeta3986, we, uh, we worked on um, Naruto Abridged, obviously, which we also, we discovered each other through the Voice Acting Alliance, of course. And... Uh, we did all that, and then uh, Little Kuriba had been doing the Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged series around 2006, and we thought we could do the same with Naruto, and we did, and it met, you know, a reasonable amount of success. It was pretty good. We, I feel like our series popularized the idea that people could go, hey, we could make our own. Like, it, it made it more accessible to people, but at the same time, you had Lani Pator with Yu Hakusho Abridged, you had Taka and Joey Cheeseman with G Gundam Abridged, Isa with Lupin abridged, and various other ones as well. Wow, um, I guess I didn't realize that there were so many of them. I knew that yeah, well, there were bridge series for everything. Preceded, but yeah, I, I really thought, or I think that, at least in my brain, in my head canon, that Dragon Ball Z Bridge wasn't the first, but it was the one that everyone sort of really drew attention to first because of the accessibility of Dragon Ball Z uh, in that time. Oh, I feel no, like that no. was the one that made everybody say, all right, you know what? What can we do now? But apparently, there was a bunch no, of people. I feel like Naruto Abridged was one of those things that kind of got initially people up. Oh, and of course, I couldn't absolutely forget HBI 2K's Berserk Abridged. Yeah, you cannot forget that guy. Yeah, HBI was a very pivotal part of that group. Yeah, Ben is one of those people I really connect with the most. And just his Berserk Abridged it had that different kind of humor. Even though our technical quality throughout all of the series, nowadays we would weep at because they were just really bad, we were finding <laughs> our feet. And back in 2006, that was really good for what we could do. 
But yeah, we all just found each other and we were like, hey, I like your work. Hey, I like your work as well. And then I think Kaiser and Taka and Lanny just got together and said, hey, you know what? We both we all like Dragon Ball. Well, let's just let's just, you know, do the series. Because Lanny, Vegeta, and I and Rissa, yeah, another friend of ours at the time, we had uh done the first couple of movies of DBZ. Um, so we got to have a little snippet of voicing certain characters. But with DBZA, that was the call of being show run by Kaiser. So yeah, it just went from there. And I remember that he approached me. Apparently Tarka thought uh well Tarka convinced him to because Kaiser thought I would say no. The fool. Why would I say no? Uh <laughs> I basically asked me, and I think before he could even finish the question, I said yes. Like wow. do Goku more, okay. But actually, I didn't voice Gohan in the first episode. Who was the first episode? It was Vegeta. Even though it was like uh, Vegeta 3986. Even though it was just one line, I then took over from episode two. Any, any thought into that decision? Or it just kind of was like, hey, we may as well have it because they're related. and you know. Just I just it think it was up. just the direction they were trying to go for. It just didn't quite work. That makes sense. Uh, going back to something that you said you know, about how if you guys look back now on the edits that you did, Back then, you probably weep just due to the quality. Um, I just wanted to stop and point that out, that I feel like it's really important that despite technical limitations, you guys still pushed through and made what, you were, you know, what you'd set out to do. Um, you'd still continue to make your content despite maybe not knowing the best way to go about it. You, you had a vision and you tried to execute on it. And obviously, um, as you continue to do that, uh, we'll improve craft and you look at where you are now. Uh, I only stopped to point that out because that's sounds very much in the way of how we started with our podcast and how it initially was just like, hey, we're talking about Dragon Ball anyway. Why don't we just throw on some microphones and see how it goes? And yeah, didn't know what to expect, and you know, sort of um, have gotten, I'd hope anyway, better over the last couple of years. Um, but mm. I, I just I, I can appreciate and really respect the fact that. You guys didn't let technical limitations uh, stop you from making content. Oh no! I mean, we had we had a degree of ability, and I was studying at university to be an editor. So, doing these abridged series was perfect practice for editing. So, this was what I do. So, like Naruto abridged was known for having a really good editing quality, relatively speaking. Uh, but Kaiser was the one that pretty much with Lupin just really. Yeah, push the envelope forward. And it's just the thing was though, we, we, we have to be aware that we, we always improve and to be aware that where you've come from to show that you have progressed. If things think, yeah, I think, oh, I'm not going anywhere. You just look back to what you did two years ago and you're like, oh, well, God, did I really do that? And the fact you can recognize that means you have made progress. So there is hope. Absolutely. Um, so in terms of the early days when you started to work, I'm not sure how involved you may have been with Obviously, you know, provide the voice acting talents for Gohan. Um, in terms of the writing stuff or in terms of how you guys collaborate, I mean, 2008, it's not quite the technological advancements of 2020, but I mean, you guys have the capabilities. What did that early, um, what are the early days of working on Dragon Ball Z Bridge look like for you guys from a collaborative uh, standpoint? Um, well, I didn't really help out in the writing because I was not a writer at the time. I was mainly just an editor and vocal talent. So it was... Kaiser, Taka, and Lanny doing all that. So they'd write together over Skype, um, and they would provide the scripts, and I'd get emailed them, and then I would record them, cold reading, for the first 13 or 14 episodes, 
and I would send the lines to Kaiser. And if I needed any needed to do any redos, then I would do the redos. But then we got to 2000, uh, episode 14, so around about 2010, when Kaiser was like saying, you know what, we should all like really be directed, you know, in person, so or you know, on Skype in real time, so we can actually have a good connection. So afterwards, you know, with those episodes, you start to get a really kind of cohesive dynamic. Like you feel like the characters are actually talking to each other, mm-hmm. as in like, you know, that, that it's conveyed a bit more naturally. So at, at back then, for the first season, certainly, it was all a bit disconnected. Like once I'd done my lines, I wouldn't hear anything else about that episode again until it came out. But that was just down to time zones, really. So once you guys started to work together, like you said, it became a little bit more cohesive. Um, I, I think that there's a, a really stark increase in quality between season one and season two. Obviously, when you guys take on the Frieza saga, um, not only in terms of like the quality of the production, but I feel like even the writing stepped up a, a peg as well. Um, mm. And I think in large part, it has to do with, I feel like the cast of characters sort of explodes when you go to Namek. And you've got a lot more uh, places to explore in terms of characters and in, in terms of how these characters interact with one another. Mm. Um, when did you uh, was it like going into season two i mean there must have been a moment for you guys in season one where you started to realize that this thing is huge and people are paying attention to us and how are we going to follow this up to to the season one well i think they recognized that after episode one came out we had like over fifty thousand subscribers after episode one and back in 2008 that's a big deal to gain that many subscribers to gain 10,000 subscribers in a week back then was unheard of. This was like insane. So immediately, once we, as soon as we got out the door, we realized, oh, okay, we've hit upon something really special here. But yeah, when it comes to season one, we basically, the, the dynamic did change and the move away from random humor was very apparent. It was more about character base. That means people, anyone who was not too familiar with DBZ could jump onto DBZA and get the general idea about what's going on. And then dump, jump into the original series and not feel like they're lost. And uh, yeah, and that was around the time we kind of had our YouTube channel taken down for the first time. It's around 2009. So yeah, that was a harrowing moment. So we were having to deal with the season two transition, our channel being taken down, but we got it back. But it was a very, um, a very tumultuous time going into season two. That sounds really stressful, and in all, and there are expectations from your fans, and obviously you want to continue to grow, but the copyright strike stuff and having your channel taken down, at that point, it's like, even though everyone wants to do season two, and I imagine you guys were very much in favor of doing season two, I imagine you had to ask, is it even worth it to try to pursue at this point? Well, it was kind of like that, a big pivotal moment, stuff like that, and this was back in the day before we realized, you know, to just not be scared by these takedowns because they are automatic. But, you know, it was very stressful at the time because it was very unusual. But we persevered and we, you know, got to where we are today. So season two wraps up. We go into season three. I've heard a lot of, um, I don't know, back and forth on the idea of was it always meant to be season three, the end of the Cell Saga? was this always meant to be the end for you guys or not? And over the last couple of years, uh, I've heard several people in, in your group say that, no, we have full intentions of doing the Boo Saga. Um, um, well, in terms of that, really, I feel like, in a way, the end of the Cell Saga is a natural end point. 
And Dragon Ball Kai did end there until they did the final chapters, like a couple of years later, trying to fill, it, fill in a slot out of necessity. Mm-hmm. But at, I remember at that time, we kind of thought because of the immense scale of the Cell Saga and the Android Saga, we thought about ending it early on. Like, we weren't too sure because we were just thinking, should we? Because this is going to take years and stuff like that. We had no idea about the. We could not see the ending back in 2013. So we just kind of like thought, well, let's not worry about this right now. Let's just get this saga done. And then I know that towards like 2018, when it came, like 2017. Yeah. So around about that time, we were all kind of just going, oh, yeah, I think we can do the Boo Saga. So there was initial planning and stuff like that. And of course, jokes were around, but just not put into one cohesive product. But um, I'd suppose really it just got to that point where, you know, we had the stressful times in 2017 with Toei, uh, uh, stuff like that. So we weren't too sure about the future. So we just didn't want to play with fire anymore. And then in 2018, we kind of thought, well, yeah, let's just, let's just end it. So when we recorded episode 60, we kind of thought this was in May and the episode came out in September. Uh, so in May, we, we seriously planned. And when I went to record for it, we, yeah, that was the ending. And it was a very emotional time to record for. So we went into that, recording that episode and making that episode, that being the finale finale. And it was only like, not long afterwards that we kind of just thought, well, you know, well, Kaiser thought, you know what? Yeah, let's just do it. Like, yeah, let's just have a break and see where we go. Because that's what we've done uh, between season one and season two. We would take like a six to 12 month break just to kind of get ourselves re-energized and then go into the next one. So, you know, it was a very changeable thing. So we had the intention of doing Boo at, you know, when we released 60. But at the time of recording and writing, the guys wrote it as in, this is the end. I'm so happy that, you know, I'm so happy that you illustrated that for me. Um, I don't know how much of that has been spoken about before. I'm sorry for retreading topics that you've spoken about in the past. Um, no, 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 no. It needs to be said. So my, I'm glad that you point out that when you went into the booth to record episode 60, there was, you know, a sense of finality there for you guys in terms of your performance and how it was produced and written. Yeah, it was really heavy. You guys premiered that at a convention, didn't you? The first part of episode 60? Oh, yeah, I can tell you about that. Um, But yeah, because that was at Sanjpan. And uh, Sanjpan, that was very nervous because this was part one, which included the Super Saiyan 2 screen. And I had no Mm -hmm. idea because I bottled it so many times during recording. I had to record it later on, so I was really nervous. So it, it all came up. It the scream came up. I was shaking, like to my, you know, trying to hold it in. But then the scream happened. There was applause. Yeah, applause just after the scream, and I almost broke down. I almost like I was kind of really emotional, nearly crying, just for the fact that you know it was such a huge weight of my mind. Something I've been waiting to do for ten years. And it finally happened, and people didn't hate it. I'd say I'd, I'd even go so far as to say they loved it. I, I listened to the end of episode 60 uh, about a couple of hours ago, and uh, it is a phenomenal scream. I don't know what you could have been worried about. I know that you said you had to go re-record it, but it's a phenomenal take. Uh, it makes sense that you got the applause that you did. Mm, well, I, it, was just such a, it was just such a lot of pressure, because I know that it's a very pivotal moment. And we at DBZA, we... We take those moments seriously. That's actually, 
I swear, Moscow, you keep setting me up so beautifully. I appreciate this. Uh, it's, it's a perfect segue for me to say when I watched episode 60, I hadn't kept up with all episodes of season three at that point in time. I'd seen some bits and pieces, and I'd obviously been a huge fan of um, how you guys portray Cell. I mean, he's, I was a little worried, like, once you lose Frieza as a villain in DBZA, because he's so, so funny and just plays off of so many characters so well. Um, you know, what's the dynamic with Cell going to be like? But he's just such a right character. But that's all a long way to say. I wasn't super familiar with the tone of season three when I first watched episode 60. So when I went into it, having been a fan of early uh, EBZA, I haven't watched it when you guys were releasing episodes, you know, monthly by monthly. Um, it didn't feel like Dragon Ball Z abridged to me. It felt like the team four star dub of Dragon Ball. It, it felt like, um, there was a sense of finality there for sure, but there was also a sense of seriousness in a lot of aspects in certain scenes. Um, mm. I'm thinking namely of how um, you and Piccolo go back and forth in the explanation of, you know, why Gohan's going to be the one to defeat Cell. Like, even though you've got your silly Goku voice on, it's a pretty straightforward take on that whole uh, scene. At, at that point, it wasn't, I felt like I was just watching an episode of Dragon Ball oh, Z. Yeah, you know of course. I mean? This was like leading up to the punchline of Goku having a plan and then just realizing it all coming down instantly when Piccolo goes, Gohan doesn't like to fight. What? And Goku's just like, you know, completely, and then he just realizes, he realizes, okay, oh my God, I made a huge mistake. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, Goku's just got completely wrong in just that moment. Because that moment in the anime is so iconic. Just that moment when Goku just looks to Gohan and realizes, oh, dang, I, I, I messed up badly. It's one thing that I love about you guys' take on Dragon Ball Z is that it is very faithful to everything that the series has done. But you guys look at it with such an appreciation and love and a certain, like, um, you know, skepticism of the um, sometimes lack of seriousness of the plots that you can poke fun at it and you can have a good time with it. Yeah, um, no, certainly. So I do appreciate um, getting back to, you know, treating the more serious moments of what you guys do in terms of the dubs. I, I think um, the other primary example in terms of what we're talking about here with the Super Saiyan 2 Gohan transformation, I think the other example would be Goku's transformation on, on Frieza. Uh, oh, yeah. On Namek against Frieza. Um, mm. Would you say that you had that sort of pressure leading up to recording a scene like that as well? Again, that was giving myself pressure. I did 25 takes of that screen. Wow. Kaiser was just going, dude, you don't have to do this many. And I was like, no, I need to get this right. Because in a way, there's even more pressure. Like, because that's Goku. That's Goku's first Super Saiyan arriving in Z and in DBZA. I had to do it justice. And now I go back to it and I feel like, yeah, no, I could have done it better. Wow. I wish you'd stop beating yourself up so much. It's not me beating myself up. It's just me basically looking back to something I did eight years ago and going like, yeah, I could have done it better now, I feel. Yeah, we always have the benefit of, uh, you know, years of hindsight. experience on the road, hindsight. But um, mm. let me ask you, do you feel like, I mean, I know that, you know, Scott has basically said they didn't want to get to the point where they didn't enjoy doing this anymore. And, you know, I think that obviously comes with a certain amount of fatigue uh, from having to produce such high level quality content um but and in, in an alternate reality where you guys decide that you wanted to go forward and make the boo saga 
do you feel like you would have had any sort of that fatigue set in on you personally as a performer uh, and a voice actor for this series? Or is that something you've already sort of experienced? I mean, you do sound like you kick the crap out of yourself in the booth a little bit. Um, no, usually, usually recording sessions are absolutely fine. Like, it's just those big pivotal moments which are important that mm-hmm. I know that resonate well with the fans. That's why, because I just, you, get, you, you need to take those moments seriously. The more general um, dialogue stuff, you don't nearly, you're, you're not doing. Oh, no, because Go I know the character, I know, I know what to do for Goku and Gohan. That, that's not an issue. As in, like, you know, you get used to the character. Kaiser writes for Goku and Gohan mostly. So I'm talking to the guy who wrote the line, so he knows what he wants, and I know how to do it. So there's no pressure there. And honestly, if we were doing Boo and we did this for like another 10 years or something like that, I'd be okay doing it. I, I, I'm more than happy to voice the character for the rest of my life, if I could. And I mean, obviously we live in America, so a guy named Sean Chan to most people, but I know that for a fact you are uh, the favorite Goku to a lot of fans. Well, honestly, uh, this is a big thing I always try and stress, is I do not compare myself to the Gokus. I really should not. Because I, I do it for a fan parody. They're doing it for the actual show, where the actual emotions and scenes are meant to be as intended. So I never, I never try and compare myself to them, because that would be unfair and wrong. So, I, again... Like, people like to say, oh, I like you more than Shemmel, or I like you more than Ozawa, or Kalamis, or Colette. I'm not... uh, Guys, just enjoy those guys. They were Goku. I voiced Goku on a fan parody thing. So, yeah, it's nice to get compliments, of course. I take the compliment, but I don't... I don't let that kind of make myself feel pompous or big-headed, because... That's just wrong to do. Uh, uh, yeah, so that's your PSA from Moscow X. Um, stop you know, yelling at him about how he's the best Goku. You know, Just enjoy all the Gokus. That's what Dragon Ball's about. Yeah, Goku. enjoy every, every interpretation has its own unique quirks and something to love and not love so much about. They all have their own different traits. So one aspect of episode 60 that I, I kind of meant to bring up a moment ago that I thought was interesting and I didn't realize that this was such a big uh, part of you know, your commitment to the fandom is you do the vocal cover of Spirit versus Spirit at the end of episode 60, correct? No, that's not me. What? I thought that was you. No, 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 no. No, that's, uh, that's, done, that's done by two other people. And, uh, yeah, basically, that is a mixture of, oh, that's like multiple different people. That's like uh, Annie Jirian, uh, G- who does like the arias. And then, I thought that you were the male voice in the middle. I'm sorry. No, no, that's Paolo Cuevas. He's a very, very talented Spanish singer and yeah, rock singer. So I, I basically pointed, um, pointed him out to the group and they, you know, they picked him up. Wow. I'm sorry that uh, I just made myself look like an ass. No, 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 no. It's fine. (laughs) It's like, this is a common misconception. So don't worry about it. Oh, all right. I feel better then. Um, maybe we'll just leave it in for the Patreon cut. We'll see. Um, So that final sp- scene where Spirit versus Spirit does kick in for you, obviously, uh, it's an iconic moment in Dragon Ball history. Um, I, whenever I think of like the iconic moments of Dragon Ball history, I think of the last episode of Dragon Ball GT and that long scroll of all the Dragon Ball memories through all of the seasons. And 
when it breaks to that part in the cell saga it's just i don't know it just gives me chills every time when that red light goes on or the red background goes on and then the, the song kicks in um mm. the music is such an integral part to dragon ball um but here here in nobukagayama um has done i'd say i don't know if you had to guess conservatively how many songs for dragon ball <laughs> Uh well, n- pretty much all the games between two thousand two, two thousand oh no, nineteen ninety seven and two thousand eight, and many of the movies as well, right? Yeah, many of the movies. So I'm probably gonna guess probably like 30, 35. And did he he did Spirit vs Spirit? Am I correct? Uh yes, uh he did the male vocals for that yes. So that's all a long way to get to. What's your favorite Kagayama song? Uh, Psycho no Fusion. That's the oh. movie twelve ending. Yeah, exactly. I that is a good song, and it it reeks of like nineties keyboard synth Japanese genre. Mm-hmm. I love that genre around the mid nineties for that keyboard and jazz. Mm. Yeah, oh, very nice. I'm so with you on that. So you you are a musician yourself? Uh, no, I'm not a musician per se. I do singing. I do singing covers of various things. But that, that counts, man. Yeah, so I I guess you could say that. But I have an appreciation and are uh, teaching myself to sing every day for the last five years, most specifically. Awesome. So I'm just trying to improve it. Um, outside of uh, Dragon Ball songs, any other singing? I ask because I, too, am a musician. I play a couple oh. of nights out of the week as, as a acoustic guy at bars and restaurants and things. Um, I've done I've done like things for like, The Witcher, JoJo, uh, Digimon, all that kind of stuff. Just songs, songs that really speak out to me or that just are really exciting to do. Excellent. And I think Psycho No Fusion, when those horn lines kick in at the beginning of that song, I instantly mm. want two kicks and mass. Yeah, it's a good it's a good song. I think my favorite Kagayama song might be though uh movie thirteen ending, um I believe it's called, um Dragon Fist Explosion. I, oh, I think yeah. that one might be my favorite. Well the fact that the name is Dragon Fist Explosion, that you can't go wrong with that. No, absolutely not. Um so Obviously, we know that Dragon Ball Z will be, you know, coming to or has officially come to an end as we know it uh, in terms of the episodic releases. You guys still plan to do things in terms of the Dragon Ball shorts, though, correct? Yeah, the Dragon shorts. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, they kind of really be a bit more kind of using the world of DBZA. But yeah, a bit more like just a couple, just like skits, as it were. Got it. So um, then you do have your own YouTube content that you make really regularly. in terms of, I always liked watching your, I know that you don't make them as regularly as you, as you used to, but I always liked watching your Majin News segments. Ah, uh, yeah, that was a nice little experiment, but the thing was, though, it just took so much time to make, and it's just the news was just so sporadic. And yeah. in terms of the, like, the analytics and the kind of algorithms, it just did not suit well. So in a way, it was, it was worth a try, and it, and it really helped in terms of green screen stuff, but it was just, it was, a, it was worth a go. But it just didn't. It it didn't really kind of catch on with the audience. Yeah, the sporadic nature of Dragon Ball news and uh, how difficult it could be for content creators totally not mm-hmm. lost on me. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you got the the Majin news segments that I typically enjoy, but you've also done a long series of of what if videos and just basically what if different scenarios. Uh, you know, if this event had happened differently in Dragon Ball, this would be what the corresponding events and how they would have played out. Um, oh yeah and i think um one of the more popular ones and and something that i probably had never thought about until 
you know, I saw the question posed by you and your content was, you know, what if Raditz uh, hadn't died and stuck around and turned good? And uh, how much of a travesty it is that Goku's brother, of all people, is uh, killed in the first five episodes of Dragon Ball Z and uh, never, you know, really spoken of ever again, uh, when there could have been a lot of places to explore with that character. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it it was it it was one of those things that you kind of just go from then. It was it all just started off well. Oh, I I did like a what if Sensu Beans never existed video. Like mm-hmm. if you took away Sensu Beans, how would it go? It, short answer: not very well. <laughs> uh, but then I started to do various um ones. But the first one that was like a multi-parter one was if what if Kid Goku turned Super Saiyan. And that was like a really, really legendary good one, and I loved doing it. So you know, it, it it was a it was one of the classics, and people still want me to do another one, even though I haven't done one in like three years. Hmm. Yeah, but it's only because it reaches a point where usually I I tend to end a what if if it gets too close to the original, it just goes like well, yeah, I kind of I don't want to just be rehashing the original story. So I would say that um, with the exploration of. Of, of Raditz and that is that a multi-part series for you as well? Oh, Raditz, yeah, multi-part, yeah, that's gone to like thirteen parts, as it were. Yeah, yeah. so that's kind of like the general. I, basically, leading into our discussion today, I want to make sure that I've watched um, at least the first episode of Dragon Ball R and R, your okay. series that you've produced with a, a group of really, really talented and committed fans uh, to basically. Uh, illustrate and not illustrates not the right word i don't know exactly i want to kind of get your take on it but um oh of course that that all led up from a multi what if part 13 part series of uh this this raddit scenario and then yeah. it had gotten to a certain point where you'd said basically we've, we've reached this part post boo and uh let's have a little r and r uh you know both rest and relaxation but also yes. you know raddit raddit and Ranch. yeah um let's um Let's talk about that a little bit. That's such a fascinating thing for me. What what went into the decision making process of you taking it from a what if scenario where you just kind of you know sit in front of a camera talk about it and outline it that way to let's make this a full blown production? What is that thought process look like? Well, I basically it got to the point around I was loving the inclusion of Ranch and the dynamic with Goten and Trunks, but then I was kind of realizing around part eight of the series that going into Super, the kids would barely have anything to do. And I thought, so I'd ask a poll, like, hey guys, um, do you guys like the, would you like to see a spinoff involving more of the kids? And there was a ra- over-resounding 95% plus said yes. So I was like, okay then. So I then got together with my research pal, Havrock. You know, we worked together on scripts quite a lot of the time. And uh, we just thought, okay, well, let's do this. Uh, call it Dragon Ball R&R. So it's like Raditz and Ranch, rest and relaxation. It's that period between the Boo Saga and Super. So it's like a good bit of time to play with. So it's mainly just character-driven. So I put out the auditions in January 2018. And lo and behold, I had 2,000 auditions. Wow. 2,000 people. And I had about 600 people audition for Raditz. That was mad. That was utter madness. How do you even begin to dig through 600 different submissions? Very gradually. Very, very gradually. But ultimately, I landed on Kevin, Kevin Afghani, who has been Raditz since it started, and he is a fantastic Raditz. I saw loads of really good Raditzes, 
but he was like the he was the best radish. Really but, and uh, makes it his own very quickly. <laughs> but no, he he definitely had he definitely had a good interpretation. Um, but so we I auditioned for anyone that was in episode one, of course. So you gotta have trunks, you gotta have Goten, Chi Chi, launch, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I even had um, the odd ones out uh, joining him in as Dende because it turns out he's a fan of Team Four Star. Um, so basically, I thought, oh, hey, do you want to play Dende? And he went, yeah, sure. He'd never done anything like that before, so it was a bit of a voyage of discovery for him. But it was, it came out good. But um, ultimately, I, I, I voiced Goku because I, I did a poll in the first audition saying, do you guys want to hear me as Goku? And nine out of ten people said yes. So I'm, okay, if you guys want me to be Goku, I'll just do a little, a bit more of a serious interpretation. Like, less I'm so Goku. glad that you did because it almost kind of ties to Team Four Star a little bit. Like, it seems like your Goku's like guest starring in your own official product now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but only just a, a le- less goofy. A bit yeah. more like a serious interpretation. But the most difficult one was Ranch, because Ranch is wholly original. So I'm like, I've got to understand who exactly I want for that character. And I had a... Let me just see, like, I had loads of auditions for, like, for Ranch, uh, but, like, come in. But there was, like, about... Well, 11. 11 of them that made the shortlist. But Courtney was the one that did the best out of all of them. I mean, I had a couple of good ones, like really good ones. But Courtney was the one that really had that sparked out the potential. And also, um, I actually actively sought out people who didn't really have much of a following. So people who were new, people who were relatively not unknown and had a low presence. Because I didn't, I didn't want to have this ridden off the back of a big fan base. So. I, I had people like Prince Vegeta and Bulma Bunny audition for it, and I was like, yeah, they're good, I like these characters, I like your auditions, you did very well, but ultimately that's not the modus operandi of this project. You don't want to cast somebody just because they have a large following. Yeah, exactly. I mean, The Odd Ones Out, that was different, that's a cameo. That's yeah. a cameo, and it was like, oh hey, this is guy, it's Dende, he has one line. So, I'm not going to have people audition for a character who has just one line. So that'd be, It'd be a waste of time for, the, for them mainly but he kind of like um you know courtney did a very good job and the people like trina for bulma alex walker smith for vegeta very divisive vegeta certainly but i want i didn't want a sabbat clone so i wanted something between brian drummond and sabbat and i feel like alex has got a good vegeta and people have gotten used to it yeah divisive vegeta i'm glad that you pointed that out or or mentioned it because i think he was a little i mean I don't know how much Vegeta's character has changed, given that Raditz has stuck around, um, and I haven't been able to watch 13 parts. Oh, of course. Well, the context of, the context of that Vegeta, and I think a lot of people didn't realize, unless they'd gone back and watched R&R, yeah, the Raditz turned good series, this Vegeta is a lot more assured of himself. He's beaten Raditz, uh, Kakarot's been AWOL, and basically he feels like he is superior. He has a level of being an asshole. Like, he is an absolute cruddy prick who is absolutely full of himself. So he, he is will just throw ruthless. a key at his kid when he walks in the room. Exactly. Because he's not, he should have seen that coming. He is exactly. nonstop feeling like, I beat Raditz. I don't care. I'm the best. It's a very different Vegeta. Yeah, it's he's a very gruff. And it, it comes across in the performance, too, I think. Mm, yeah, they're just a very hoity toity. Oh, I'm so. 
It's like, oh yes, I am very great. I am Vegeta. I am truly the prince of all Saiyan. It carries himself a lot better, I'd say. Um, so in terms of the production, I mean, I've got a, a pretty good, I mean, it sounds like you've got a, um, sounds like it was an extensive process to try to cast the right people. And I'm glad that you, you know, opted to go with the people that you felt best fit the character in terms of their performances, um, over, you know, a known name. Um, mm. but I watching it today, I mean, I, I wasn't sure what to expect when I first, you know, clicked the video. Um, it's black and white. It's drawn beautifully. I'm not sure who your artist is, but my lord, these these pictures are beautiful. It's multiple I, ones. Like we had people like uh, DBZ Trev, um, Malik Torahane from Dragon Ball New Age. We got like loads of good artists. Nexus Mania is one of them. He did like the, my favorite like a kind of glamour shot of Goditz, the fusion of Go um, Goku and Raditz, the one that's all sparkly and Bulma's like, oh, he's kind of cute. Yeah. <laughs> And it's just like, yeah, the <laughs> just that moment. Because that, that scene with Goddits and Ronks and the music of that, that song is so good. Because the, the music's all original. Yeah, your opening song yeah. kicks a pretty good amount of ass, man. Yeah, uh, that who makes your music? A uh, guy called Nestor Nesta Glass or Nestor Toy Mill. He's a Spanish musician, as well as our brass guy, James Riley. And those two together, James and Nestor, get on so well. And Hayden, Hayden Davio. She's the main character in Goblin Sire. She she does a lot of singing and a lot of like fan dramas herself. So she did really well for For the Thrill. Yeah, For That's the Thrill, I feel like it's a really good song. And Chi Chi Ai's Papa's Wish, the ending theme, I adore as well. So well done. Um, yeah. So the, the music aspect part of it is, is it, I feel like it's spot on. I mean, for what we're trying to do, it's, you know, um, I don't know. I, I love, this is very much a love letter to the series in a lot of, of ways. Um, and you guys encapsulate that very well with not only the performance, but the music aspect part of it. But the, the visual is what was most interesting to me because you've got these beautiful pictures. And I mean, they're stills for all intents and purposes, but the way in which you guys edit them together, it's very engaging to watch. I felt like I was watching a, you know, an episode of, of, you know, a different Dragon Ball series, but a Dragon Ball series nonetheless. And the fact that it wasn't like, quote unquote truly animated um you know the writing and the story in itself was engaging enough where that wasn't even a problem yeah th that is our mission to we are limited by budget considerably that you know hindered by it but so we try and make do with what we got and i feel like we've done a good job in terms of doing making use of the resources that we have so um, before I ask you for the Patreon information for you to share and see if we can get you some more, you know, executive producers for R and R, what what are your plans, hopes, goals uh, for the future of R and R? Um, I, we've done five episodes, I believe. Is that right? Uh, we've done four. The fifth is in production. Okay. And do you have a, a target date for the release on that? Or um, I ideally would like to have uh, it done by before the end of Q one. But unfortunately, we've had to like think, uh, go through multiple production processes and changing things, and people having to dip in and out due to you know the real life commitments, which is totally understandable. So we're having that. This is the thing with working with people. We're working pe with people who have you know real jobs, so we have to kind of work around it. So hopefully, we've we've taken in steps to try and ensure that episode six comes out much. But we just want to make sure it comes out good because episode five is all about Raditz and about his interpretation of the past and how he conveys Vegeta is going to floor everybody. Oh, wow. That's a, 
that's definitely piqued my interest. Now that I've watched episode one, I'm going to have to go back and watch two, three, and four in preparation. Mm, they're, they're all different things. Like with episode two, it's about Goten uh, having a haircut to gain more sense of personal identity. Episode three reminds, it shows the moment when Raditz actually joined the side of our team. And then episode four is all about Yamcha. The guy the who we get for Yamcha. Still. And that, it's his final baseball career. We actually have a really compelling story. And the guy we got for the armchair, Stan, he's so good. This all sounds um, like I need to watch it immediately. Um, I guess, are there any other, um, I guess, episode ideas, subjects that you got kind of kicking around that you've got in the future? Or? We've got 12 episodes for this season, and we've got written all of them. All 12, we have a script for them. Awesome. Yeah, so, so we've got an entire season in the works. So what are the ways in which people can support? I mean, because these, these aren't just like, you know, typical, we like Dragon Ball, let us recreate Dragon Ball. These are like some interesting ideas within the world of Dragon Ball that... Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And um, us as adult fans, I mean, I feel like these are the kind of stories that we yearn for, but given the fact that it's a show still geared for the demographic of 10-year-old boys in Japan, we'll probably never get to get to see them on this, um, you know, series of level. There's a two-parter I'm looking forward to that involves Ten Shin Han when the dojo, his dojo's just opened and he's struggling to find people. He wants Goku to be a master, but he has to settle for Raditz. <laughs> I so, feel like Raditz wouldn't even entertain that. He'd be like, get out of here, three eyes. Oh, no, no. He, he's like, oh, no, sure, I'd, I'd love to be a help. And Ten Shin Han's like, really? Uh, no, no, it's fine. No, no, absolutely, I want to help. Yeah. No, our Raditz is very, very pompous and goofy because he is so confident now because he believes in himself. And he's just, oh, no, I'm Raditz. I, I, I want to be part of everything. Yo, oh, I'm down for that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Man. This is going to be excellent to see. Our, our Raditz, Kevin is so good at just being a goofball. Raditz is just such a goof. He's very serious in the art, art of battle and stuff like that. And he gets the job done. He doesn't take things, you know, silly in the in battle but when it's all down in peacetime no he's just a he's one of those crazy like fun loving dads huh and this was just a guy that you hadn't had random well, 600 submissions yeah yeah no kevin i mean i had some really good ones but kevin just had that like you know joie, joie de vivre as as in like just that love for life that i just mm, he's really really good so excellent so yeah. Obviously, we have a lot to look forward to with the future of Dragon Ball R&R, and then we'll still have the Dragon Shorts from Team Four Star to look forward to. Um, any other kind of things that you're looking forward to accomplishing in 2020 in terms of your content creation, YouTube, things like that? Well, I'm working on a little card game to do with my what-ifs, so I'm looking forward to you know unleashing that upon the world soon. Card game? What is yeah. it like? Uh... Well, it's kind of like um, if you mix Fun Employed and Cards Against Humanity together, Okay. That's what you get. I don't think I've ever played Unemployed. Cards Against Humanity I've played a lot of, but not the it, other. It involves a lot of improv. A lot of improv, oh. and it's a party game. Excellent. That's something I would uh, definitely be into try trying and checking out. Um, all right, uh, Masako, I don't want to occupy too much of your time today. I know that we've just passed the, the hour mark. Um, what can fans do? I mean, obviously, we want them to go check out your YouTube channel, uh, check out the episodes that we've got of Dragon Ball R and R, and uh, be on the lookout. Future ones, um, Patreon information, socials, uh, all that stuff. Of course, 
Well, you can find me on YouTube, uh, Twitter, and Instagram by just searching for MasterCoX. Uh, you can look at uh, the patreon.com slash MasterCoX if you want to contribute to the Patreon. And uh, yeah, I'm probably the most active on, uh, on YouTube, most likely. Excellent. Well, Moscow X, thank you so much for taking a speak with me today. I really uh, appreciate you enlightening me on a lot of things, um, you know, not only about what you've accomplished in this fandom and what, what you've helped contribute to, but also, um, you know, what you intend to do going forward with your content creation and uh, your love for the series is um, very genuine and not lost on me. I, I appreciate you taking the time today. Cool. Well, you're welcome. So, yeah, that was my sit down with Masako X. Thank you so much again to him for taking time to talk with me last week. Um, you know, I know that I said out at the top of the episode that I was really nervous. And, yeah, no, still totally nervous. And I think I hold it together pretty well through most of that. But there were some parts where I could hear it anyway. But uh, if you made it to the end here, I super appreciate you checking this out. Uh, I hope that this was able to reach uh, you know, some potential new listeners. Thank you so much for taking the time to check this out today. Uh, if you enjoyed it, hope you stick around. Please feel free to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, all the places where the podcasts live. I said that already. If you are new, we do have an extensive backlog of episodes focused primarily on Dragon Ball, My Hero Academia, but we do have some other stuff in there as well, such as uh, Godzilla, some of the marvel movies uh we've done stuff on death no uh promise neverland uh season one um we've done a few things over the last uh, almost three years i believe so yeah go check out old episodes we appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh listen to this today and uh hope to have you back soon super dope